everybody, we're the Con Artists. We're back for another episode, and this time we're going to be doing sort of a famous first type thing. We're going to be talking about first episodes of a show that we really like, and why we really like them, or why the heck we're just liking them because we have nostalgic goggles on. Because oh, hey, yeah. that's sometimes why you really love a first episode. So, uh, a little bit of a spoiler warning, there might be some minor spoilers for our first episode, but we're really going to avoid spoilers for this part this time around. Let's see how that goes. Alright, so I'll, I'll start us off, and I picked R.O.D. the TV, R.O.D. standing for Read or Die. So some of you may be more familiar with the OVA, which was awesome. R.O.D. the TV is kind of the sequel, and the first episode is just one of my favorites to talk about and to watch, and upon a rewatch, I had such a great time watching this. So first of all, I think it establishes all the characters really well. Like, right from the get-go, there's this artist that's, uh, or not artist, I should say, a writer that's washed up, and she's on a plane to, where where does she go? She meets them in, not Hong, Hong Kong. Kong. Hong Kong. She meets them in Hong Kong. Alright, so she meets three of the main characters in Hong Kong, she arrives, and right there you meet Michelle, who's supposed to pick her up, who's just an absolute airhead. It's just hilarious to watch her in action. We meet her sister Maggie, who's like this hulking, gentle giant of a character. Uh, later on, you meet Anita, when through circumstances where the building that this writer is supposed to stay at gets attacked by a terrorist when she arrives. Um, Anita's the youngest sister, so the writer has to end up going and staying at the sister's house, which is just chock full of books and an absolute mess. And Anita is the only one of the three sisters who's not a bibliomania like a bibliophile who doesn't read all day long and so she's like i hate this person i don't want to be here i'm annoying and you're like <laughs> all right well there's all my sisters there's the airhead the gentle giant and the annoying small one awesome but like the first episode is just it's action-packed from the beginning like right when the writer arrives and they're driving to her hotel and then the hotel just explodes Explodes and it looks really cool and Maggie has to drive the car all the way around all the falling debris and it's just it's just so much fun already and you're like man I mean it's right in the first couple minutes and I already want to know what's gonna happen and then the uh the writer ends up going to her book signing anyway despite the fact that there's a terrorist threat and she does in fact get attacked by the terrorist and then the girls reveal that they have paper magic. And if you've seen the OVA, you'll know that Yumiko Reedman, the paper, has paper <laughs> magic too. Oh. And uh, so basically they can manipulate paper to do what they want. And I thought this episode was great because it establishes all the girls, not just their personality, but their ability to use paper magic really well. Like Anita's more of the close combat type she gets in really close and then uses paper sort of like a knife to cut things maggie manipulates paper into these giant animals those and are Michelle, so cool looking those are so cool looking it's, mm -hmm. it's just great and uh michelle tends to be the one who makes long-range weaponry i think she makes the bow and arrow in that first part to shoot the bomb out the window and then they close up the whole building with paper and you're like this this is so cool. And it doesn't stop there. So the writer gets on a plane because she thinks she's safe now, flying back to Japan after uh, her her signing. And they discover that there's a second author to this book that the terrorist was writing. That's actually why he tried to blow up the author in the first place. He was mad that her book got published and his didn't. 
and it turns out that he and his brother were writing the book, and he's on the plane. So then the girls have to get into the air and stop the plane, and there's this, like, cool music happening in the background, but basically they're on a plane, and they're trying to stop this guy from shooting guns, and then the plane is, like, about to crash into the airport, and Maggie's made this giant, like... It looks like Lugia, basically, from Pokemon <laughs> Silver, if you're familiar. This big, like, Lugia type of creature to catch the plane in midair. Michelle slices the wings off. It's just so awesome. And then, of course, in classic movie style, I should say, the plane stops right up against the glass of the airport. Like, dink! Classic. Yep. And you're like, yes! And there's just paper flying everywhere, and the girls are laying there, and they're like... So, I hear there's good bookstores in Japan. That sounds like fun. And I was like, this episode is awesome! I cannot wait to watch more of this show! And I was I was so excited by the first episode. It's a really awesome first episode. But I will admit that the next two after that, just, they don't even remotely follow that episode. They're, they're just really kind of boring and fillery. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, I think things great. don't really start getting good again until episode four has a little bit of action, but episode five, I think, really starts uh, moving you into the girls doing cool stuff again, where they, you know, end up in this castle that's sort of like Dracula's, and there's sound. Oh, is it the magic. vampire guy castle? Yeah, that's the vampire guy with the sound that magic. Was a pretty neat episode. That yeah. was a really neat episode. So that's that's really where things start moving. Is a little bit of four, a lot of bit of five. So I'd still say the show overall is fun. It's kind of a mixed bag and it's not nearly as like adrenaline fueled action packed as the OVA. I think a lot of people were disappointed by the fact that it wasn't the OVA again in TV yeah. format. I think that's really you know, where the I'll raise the my hand for that one. Agreed. Yeah, I know. Scott, I know you weren't a huge fan due to that. And I had a lot of fun with the show anyway. I liked the sisters. I liked the way they play off each other. And I still think it's a really fun show that I would recommend to people. But you definitely need to watch Read or Die, the OVA, first. Uh, otherwise, things get really weird towards the later half of the show, and you're not going to know what's going on. Most so. certainly. But, uh, Fair enough. Overall, I thought it was fun. I like the way it establishes everything and establishes everyone, for the most part, that you really need to concentrate on. And then it adds characters later in a very natural way. But the first episode is that action-packed fun that if you were a huge fan of the OVA, it gives it to you again. So, always one of my favorite episodes to recommend. So, Scott, I think you wanted to talk about yours next. Sure, yeah. So I was going to talk about uh, The Heroic Legend of Arslan. Now, this isn't the the one currently coming out. This is the one back from the 1990s, uh, which I'd seen well before, you know, the current one started. And I think the the thing that really hits you first about this episode is the the splendor of the animation in use on the episode. Like, right from second one, you can tell that this animation was incredibly painstakingly done, incredibly expensive to produce, and it looks gorgeous. And that more or less holds true throughout the whole thing. Now, these are, I should mention, long episodes. They're about 50 minutes long. In fact, if you bought it, like the box that I have actually is, like says play movie. You know, it's not like they, they do design into episodes, but they're, they're pretty lengthy. Uh, but, I mean, they change styles 
more or less whenever they need it throughout the episode, which I also thought was kind of cool. Like if they want to get across a certain point, they will completely change their animation style to do it. And a lot of them look really, really good. Uh, along with that, there's a lot of, I guess what I'll almost call like cinematic techniques they're using, kind of, again, contributing to that movie feel. Uh, they try a lot of stuff like where, is, where the, whether it's like widescreen or multiple different shots of the same scene to get across ideas that are pretty cool stuff. I gotta say it has a an epic scope. I mean, I don't know how long the manga is. I've heard it's actually still going, which I think gives you some sense of how long it is. Not a manga, but, but actually light novels, I think. But yeah, it's still well, okay. going. Okay, light novels then. Yeah, it's still going. Uh, and you can tell this is going to be a show with like a lot of sweep to it, just from watching the first episode. Like uh, to give a sense of comparison, if anyone is watching Arslan, which I think is up to episode six as of the time of this casting i guess would be the word uh like the first episode of the 1990s version has everything that happened in all six episodes and then probably two or three episodes more worth of content <laughs> uh just on the speed that the current show is going all in the first episode so it's it almost seems like it's moving too fast but it, it keeps it together and you can tell that you're gonna be in for quite a ride wow uh it's to see. It's focused on kind of a handful of characters, like really just Arslan and uh, Durian, Narciss, and uh, what is his name there? I guess Gieve, uh shows up towards the end of the episode. So it's pretty much going to be focused on those. Like it's uh, the modern one is kind of they've got a lot of minor characters that all get their screen time. This isn't that. They all they focus on these characters really, really intensely. Uh, although they still do take time for the narrator to kind of explain what's going on in broader terms. And thanks to all this stuff I'm mentioning, the techniques, the animation styles, uh, and the quality, it's really atmospheric. It definitely is good. It draws you in a lot. It's a superb first episode, and it's going to leave you wanting a lot more. So now, Scott, I can certainly recommend like it too. A lot hmm? of characters for an intro episode. I know you said it's really long, but did you feel like the characters got all the attention they deserved in episode one, or were you you got a lot of say? Arslan and Dariun, but not really the other ones. You just knew they were part of the party. Uh, let's see. Like Arslan definitely gets the most time. Dariun gets some. There's a little bit at the beginning, of course. Like the oh, the, the the movie or whatever you want to call it, the show starts at the battle at Atro Patene. Uh, not not before. So you pretty much start right there with him and Dariun uh, going off to do their thing. Uh, they do meet Elam and Narciss about halfway through the episode. So after that point, they're pretty much there the whole time. And then Gieve and, uh, I can't remember her name, uh, the horsewoman shows up. Uh, and they show up more or less in the last 10 minutes or so. But, I mean, at the end of the episode, they do this pan where it's like, all right, it's pretty much going to be the five of us, uh, maybe our six of us, going off on adventures. So you can tell it's going to be focused on them. But yeah, I mean, they kind of introduce them over the course of the episode. Okay. So kind of, they're kind of building the party, I guess I would say. That's pretty neat. So it just gives you that really epic, dramatic, long journey type feel. Yeah, it starts off, you know, with the with the battle, which is a huge battle, uh, and like tons of stuff going on. And again, it's using all kinds of neat techniques, whether it's like flat shots of all the guys in silhouette, or kind of panning over the battlefield in first person, which. You know, back in the days when you had to hand animate it, I mean, that means the entire background is moving as you pan, so very elaborate shots. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, it's so a lot of action to draw you in, and then, you know, of course, things go terribly, and we have to figure out how to how to get out of there. So, oh, pretty thrilling stuff. That sounds pretty sweet. Excellent. Yeah. But yeah, I'm, I'm, I think I'm good. Who's, uh, who's next? All right. 
The first show I'd like to talk about requires a little bit of personal backstory. Uh, when I was in high school, around the turn of the century, uh, my anime experience was limited to bits and pieces that I'd seen on afternoon television. Uh, during this time, my older brother acquired from a friend of his some sort of disc, which may actually have been a CD, and in addition to some other content <laughs> on it, that which I have long since forgotten about, it contained the first episode of All-Purpose Cultural Cat Girl Nuku Nuku, the TV show. Brendan, you just made that up. Oh, no. Please explain why there is a need for two Nukus. <laughs> There's actually three, uh, but there really wasn't a need for the third one. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, the first cleverly said. So, cleverly so said. So I've been told. I actually have not yet seen it. It's in. Uh, you haven't seen Dash yet. Well, you're not missing out. Well, I own it though, mm -hmm. and because I consider a purchase to be a promise, I will watch it by the end of next calendar year. Uh, oh, wow, right. But uh, my hopes aren't exactly high, given what I've heard from literally everything that I've heard about it. <laughs> um, yes, yeah, so I have this in the the box, which is called the Whole Kitten Caboodle Collection. Which uh, I checked on Amazon or at, and the rest of the internet. It's basically impossible to find this show anymore. Wow. Uh, after That's ADP really impressive. Collapsed. Not really a uh, a high like on the list of anybody who wants to license rescue, really. But mm -hmm. uh, which is a shame because well, the the OVA is actually pretty good. Oh yes. Now yeah, here we go. The uh, what I did not know at the time that I watched the first episode of Nuku Nuku TV is that it was a late 90s alternate retelling of the acclaimed early 90s all-purpose cultural cat girl OVA. So, uh, and what else I didn't realize is that it was a a parody of a wide range of anime genre staples, which I was also sort of unfamiliar with, being kind of new to the business. <laughs> so, this episode was a bolt from the blue from start to finish. <laughs> Like, the show opens on the cityscape in the not-too-distant future of 2013, and it zooms in <laughs> on this peppy, magenta-haired high school girl walking through it with a small boy, and they get about a minute of screen time before she walks into traffic and gets hit by a truck. Like you do. Yeah. Like you do. And uh, unlike Excel Saga, which actually was made after this, the girl is, like, totally unfazed and apparently oblivious, since she was using all of her brain power to try to remember something when she, like, stepped off of the sidewalk. Uh, they, they formally introduce her as, like, with text as the all-purpose cat androbot Nuku Nuku. And, uh, the boy she was with, Ryunosuke, is her owner. And then they roll the opening credits. You assume the car is destroyed? Uh, oh yeah, the truck got pretty wrecked. Like, we, not like totally wrecked. We, I mean, we assume the guy has an airbag. Hmm. But, uh. So, and if you didn't catch the cat androbot thing going across the bottom of the screen right there, it's okay, because right after the credits roll, Nuku Nuku gives a brief rundown of the show's premise, which is that Ryunosuke's scientist father put a cat brain into a robot body to be a warrior of justice against the devious Mishima Corporation. And then Ryunosuke pops up and says something like, I'm pretty sure that's not how it went down, but whatever. Isn't he, like, holding a copy of the OVA? He is holding VHS tapes of the original OVA. <laughs> oh, that is too good. <laughs> Which, again, was totally over my head. And uh, and over, like, I think I was watching this with my brother and my father at the time. Then you get into the episode proper, and it's all about Nuku Nuku going to school for the first time with, you know, humans. <laughs> Which has, you know, social implications because she's a cat. And then uh, at some point there's a, a giant, like, robot from the Mission Corporation that she has to fight. And 
Like this, the whole thing is is ridiculous. <laughs> so, Brendan, would you say this is one of, more of one of those you gotta not ask questions type of show? Just sit back and enjoy yourself. Oh, but they answer everything. This is the best part. Like, <laughs> oh, I can't wait. Yeah, you, you never really have to. Uh, well, hang on. Let's start with the uh, the minor characters, and which are all like incredibly one note characters. Uh, this 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 show and you know certainly this episode does not go into a lot of depth because this uh, like the first episode basically introduces almost everybody that's going to have any screen time for the rest of it. So you like Nuku Nuku shows up in class and then they introduce the a whole slew of like exaggerated stereotypes that also are in this class like the nihilistic pretty boy who spends most of his time gazing out the window. Uh, you've got the bookworm with big round swirly glasses that says and does pretty much nothing. Um, you've got, oh, the, uh, the, the snobby rich girl. Oh, oh yes. Oh, oh, ho, ho, ho. Oh, and yeah, her, her and... obligatory pair of hangers on. They want to repeat everything she says. Uh, they don't actually repeat what she says. They just show up and say, like, soyo, soyo, like what Chieko-sama says is uh, right. Oh, and right. I just, I don't know if I would realized this before, but when I was revisiting the episode yesterday, it, uh, I realized that their names are Migiko and Hidoriko. Which is basically left girl and right girl. Oh, that's too good. <laughs> oh, yes. See, I the love it when a show stop. is that self-aware that that kind of stuff is going on and just slides it, it in is. and you have to catch it later. So, Brendan, when would you say you began catching all of this? Like, upon a rewatch, you realized that all this hilarious stuff was going on. Did it happen over time or did you watch it once and you were... You were like, not the first time you watched it, but later on when you watched it again, maybe a second or a third time, you caught it. Um, I'm I'm actually not sure that I caught Migiko and Hidariko until yesterday. Uh, <laughs> wow. The as for the like, after I learned that the OVA existed, uh, either very or I, I may have like picked up from a trivia site or something that that's he, like he was actually holding the VHS tapes. That's uh, too funny. Hmm. And there's so many more characters, like Ryanosuke's dad is a real scientist who really did put a cat's brain in a robot body, and he really does believe that they need to be warriors of justice against the Mishima Corporation. Uh, and then, like, Ryanosuke, the grade school kid, he's the straight man throughout most of the show, and he's, like, he'll, he'll do things like point out that Mishima's robot du jour, which in this case was a, uh, a truck-sized uh, washing machine... <laughs> Uh, the M-I-R-X-A-W-11, a number that I'll probably never forget, Mr. Laundry. <laughs> he desires one thing, to do laundry. Oh, it's true. And it's got, like, arms and legs. I think its arms are actually, like, clothespins of some sort. Now, Brennan, does the fun of this show, I mean, this episode, I should say, come from just the wackiness of all? Is it an action-y episode? Is it a more slice-of-life-she-goes-to-school episode? Well, it, it, I mean, it's, it's, they very, it's, it's very comedic all the way through. Like, uh, I mean, yeah, there's, there's, there's some like, oh, Nuku Nuku's trying to fit in with, uh, you know, human high schoolers, but like, it's, it's all, it's sort of in an adventure, like, uh, action format where, uh, you know, it, it kind of an episodic kind of evil. Well, that plus like Monster of the Week, right? Well, right, right. Yeah. The evil empire is doing something and our heroes need to take time out of their normal lives to go deal with it. Uh, action slice of life. Right. I guess. Sort go. of. Uh, is this also, I mean, in this, the same sense that, like, Power Rangers was. Well, exactly. Like, something like that. Yeah, and is this also the episode where the Mishima guys all get their message to come to headquarters? Oh, yes. Because, like, that was probably definitely. my favorite 
part of this entire episode. So you, right, you gotta, like, you gotta call that out. So yeah, as ridiculous as the MIRX AW11 is, and like, which Rianosuke points out, like, this is some nonsense. Like, what, what are you worrying about, dad? Like, what do you think it's gonna do? Like, it was actually designed to, you know, uh, inspire or uh, inspire fear or cause people to cower in awe at the might of Mishima's technology. Like, the, the people in Mishima who do this, or, which is like, a hand, only a handful of people, really, but uh, are are seriously trying to conquer the world. They're just bad at it. <laughs> so very bad at it. I mean, sort of like there's there's different like dimensions to to this joke. Uh, like the uh, yeah, in the in the beginning or near the beginning of the episode, the you get you go to the Mission Corporate headquarters and you pan around to a couple of people doing normal office stuff, and then they all get this uh, secret call through various means in English in English and they all sort of like disappear into the building substructure and then we go to beneath the building into the secret hideout where uh, Hell Mishima the uh, the young president who inherited the company from his father is you know commanding his elite legion of uh, business people who are all like every one of them even him of, like, especially him is dressed up in these over the top ridiculous looking 90s villain outfits and he's going through their, their strategy of, uh, you know, what they're going to do to conquer the world. And I think at the end of the episode, you get to see, like, a couple of guys in the back that are clearly just normal people who are doing this because their boss is eccentric. Like, <laughs> the... <laughs> there's, there's only a couple of uh, other high-ranking officials who seem to be taking this as seriously as he does. And one of them is the uh, this woman codenamed Bloody Akiko, who I think is, like, the chief of planning and development. Thank and, goodness for that. She, like she goes out to the uh, the high school to like do the test of the MIRXAW11, and it uh, it starts to malfunction, and then they, like she escapes, but uh, gets injured. And then at the end of the episode, they reveal that she is in fact Rienosuke's mother, which is no surprise to people who know what the OVA was, which was not, of course, me back at the time. <laughs> uh. But like, it's like Mr. and Mrs. Smith before that was a thing. Well, Long right. Before I mean, that was a thing. Which, which was also... And giant robots. And that was different from the OVA, because in the OVA, they're legit separated. But in yeah, the, they're uh, actually in, divorced, I think. Right, right. Well, I don't remember exactly how that worked. Uh, I can't remember if they're divorced now. They're certainly not living in the same house. Right. Uh, and in the TV show, they, they really are pulling that, like, the like the mother and father sort of have secret identities, and they're waging this uh, phantom war against each other, unbeknownst to both of them. And... And it's all played for laughs. And <laughs> that sounds like such a good I, time. I was, I was, I was blown away by how freaking bizarre the show was. And we only had the one episode for a long time, so I, you know, saw it a couple of times. And then when we were in college, Scott and I finally churned through it. Probably after we watched the OVA at some point. Gotta watch the OVA. Gotta watch the OVA. Mm. Anything else uh, interesting about that? Um, I mean, I think I was gonna try to work in there somewhere that it's like it's punctuated by all kinds of ridiculously cheesy sound effects it's uh it's not a super well done show <laughs> definitely not the kind of things that are in the heroic legend of Arsland. Hmm. no 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 it, this is it's this very is workman as standard and mediocre as your animation can get but it isn't about the animation right yeah. and then that's so. yeah i don't know if that's part it's of the joke the or not, but it's absolutely it definitely is about the very fun. cool all right dan i'm excited for yours ah well, I'm just going to kind of go in chronological order for this uh, for this round. So I'm going to start by talking about uh, Last Exile. Ooh. Now, 
this was I remember we watched it back in club uh back when we all went to the same school uh but this show just it opens with showing this airship plowing through what looks like the middle of a hurricane and it establishes that whatever world it is that we are uh that we are operating on is incredibly brutal there's this just this massive windstorm that kind of envelops everything after you reach a certain altitude. And they're they're scouting through it. They're trying to find this uh, fleet of enemy airships. There's orders being called out, being relayed. It's clear that the ship has this huge crew and everything's handled with this real military precision. And from there, we cut away from that to these two young aviators living in this town that exists in a crater underneath this giant overhanging cliff. And it just does some amazing setting uh, development because you see just this this gray, dreary-looking, like, post-industrial, think like, think like turn of the 20th century England, like an industrial town somewhere, somewhere in, uh, somewhere outside of London. And this whole place is is just sleepy and kind of dreary. They have to boil their water and filter it down in order to make it drinkable. But at the same time, everyone's kind of getting by. Like these two, uh, these two kids are, you know, trying to work on their uh, work on their little airship called a van ship, and get it ready to, you know, take it go so it can go faster, perform better, so they can take on better jobs and get better pay as uh, couriers, I believe. And when they take their first job, they have to go up to this mansion on the upper levels of this uh, city where they see just the utter disparity with how they live. There's this there's green grass, this huge lawn on this tiny artificial island on which, like, the mansion house sits. And all of the water is perfectly clear and clean and drinkable, the kind of thing that we would absolutely take for granted. And right from there, you just... It tells you so much about this world. Yet at the same time, it's not beating you over the head with it. It's not like these guys are utterly miserable. They're doing they're doing jobs. They're getting by. It's just that it's hard for them. And it seems to carry over into the rest of the world as well. So, Dan, would you almost say it's like a class um, difference you kind of get right from that establishing shot? Yeah, you shot? definitely get a... Absolutely. Uh, well, yeah, from the establishing shot of the city and everything else, and especially when you... When you go a few minutes later and you get up to the uh, to the mansion, you do see just how differently the different classes of people live. And again, it's done, I won't say it's subtle because it's pretty obvious, but it's not, they're not trumpeting it. It's not, uh, it's being told deliberately, but without a whole lot of fanfare, which I appreciate. It's not just like, you know, there's no narration going over, and just like, and this is how the other half lives on the backs of the poor, or any of that kind of stuff. No, it's just, it's like, this is what it's like for them. They've got life tough, but they're getting by. And then, the you know, these other people are just, you know, just so far above, it's a different world. And then after that, when they accept this job, uh, it takes them to a battlefield where uh, two of these sides are going through an incredibly well-regulated and rules-heavy, like, somewhat, uh, I don't know, what's the word, scripted combat. Uh, there's two nations that have been at war, Anatore and Disseth. 
They've both been, you know, fighting each other for a while. They state, in fact, that this is the third battle at this particular place. And you've got these two lines of airships coming up against each other like, you know, like old-timey ships of the line. They will fly past each other and all under the observation of this really powerful guild that somehow seems to have technology way above everybody else. They will just fly past each other and as they fly past musketeers will come onto, like, platforms on the outside of the ship and fire at each other, like, Napoleonic War style. And you get to see one of the soldiers there, just the only line he is saying over and over is basically this prayer over and over. It's like, basically, that he just doesn't want to get shot. Oh, wow. But it, but he charges onto that onto that platform like all of the others, and... You get to see the officers on the ships talking about how, like, this is a noble endeavor all about honor and chivalry and so on and so forth. And then you just see these guys on the ground, well, not on the ground, but on the sides of the ship, firing at each other in this blood, in this bloody uh, firing line with absolutely, you know, purely mechanical slaughter. Ugh. And it's just, uh, it again, it's this difference between how the how the officers and the higher-ups see this conflict and how the people down at the uh, bottom have to actually live it. And the sheer, ju- and the sheer like, painful juxtaposition of that is pretty great. Right. What's also interesting, if I remember right, was that, uh, like, the, the ships that are bringing these soldiers to bear on each other do have, like, actual guns on them. Like, you know, ship-sized guns they're not using. So you mm-hmm. already can kind of see there's something different about how warfare is conducted absolutely and they do eventually move on to using those but only after they've gone through this sort of ritual musketeer exchange and they're talking about how like and it's like enemy uh for enemy forces on like the third ship of sustained 30 percent casualties losses on our ship are minimal it's like this is it's like this is a, this is shaping up to be a smashing victory and then it just cuts away from that to a picture of the platform littered with dead bodies and this one guy sitting like laying there like on his knees just kind of this 1000 yard stare staring into the distance and the ramp the platform that they're on lifts up like a drawbridge like tossing him and all of the corpses down back into the bowels of the ship again just this utter mechanical butchery that's going on and it is and they, there's like, there's no, there's nothing but what you see and hear to give you the, to give you all of this. There's no, there's no one telling you how you're supposed to feel about this. It's just obvious from what they're doing, which I love. And another thing to take away from like the story and whatnot, this kind of theme, you know, happens throughout the sh- throughout the show. Uh, but the mechanical and visual design is just top notch. The costumes are amazing. Everything is drawn from historical sources with, you know, certain twists on it, but everything looks like something that a real human being would actually wear. The officers' clothes, the the, the clothes of the civilians and the uh, regular soldiers, it all is just really, really fashionable and looks I was waiting really for you to have your moment to talk mecha- about that, detailed, Dan, because I, as I remember, oh, yeah. I don't remember a lot of this from the first episode, it's great that you're talking about this one. I do remember mm-hmm. that all of their uniforms were very distinct, and they always looked gorgeous, and just everything about the show was really breathtaking, no matter what they were doing. The mechanical designs, Absolutely. the costume designs, it was it was a really, really visually spectacular show. And a visually mm-hmm. spectacular and especially episode, the. Of course. Oh, yeah. And especially the fact that they were able to do it all with a relatively muted color palette. They're, they don't go for, like, these, for a lot of bright colors for the most part. Everything's, you know, mostly in earth tones, blues, and some, you know, some whites and golds in there for, like, the officers and the fancier parts of the uniform, but it's all for highlight. 
And they still manage to make everything incredibly distinct. And the mechanical design reflects this too. The ships uh, of Disith and Anatore look absolutely different, but they still look like they fit in the same world. Anatore uses these things that look sort of like, like World War One dreadnoughts just in the sky with all of their cannons in these uh, in these top turrets and everything. Uh, Disith uses this more odd, almost uh, diesel punk esque design. Everything's very smooth and organic, but still has a very mechanical feel with all of their turrets in these giant ball uh, ball assemblies that will like rotate to fire and do all kinds of uh, neat things like that. And even their uh, soldiers look completely different. Like the the Anatore guys look sort of like you know traditional Napoleonic soldiers with the really tall hats and the you know the coats with the broad lapels and everything. And the folks from uh, the folks from Dissith instead have these like red sort of Cossack coats and these conical uh, face shields that are supposed to protect them against wind or whatever. And even to the point where their muskets make a different sound when they fire. That is attention That's to too detail. Cool. Oh yeah. Um, but, uh... Now, Dan, do you... Then, yeah, do then you the re- feel like this episode, mm-hmm. with the precedent it sets, you know, being this detailed and this advanced and this visually stunning, do you feel mm-hmm. like that carries through the show, or did you just really end up enjoying this first episode and getting disappointed later on with the attention to detail? A lot of the stuff you're talking about now. Mm. Well... For the first couple of episodes, I think it holds up really strongly. The first two episodes are excellent, and a few of the ones that kind of get us into the story that happens afterwards also uh, hold up really well. And I also think that the end of the show, while it can get a little confusing now and then because they don't... I don't know if I just... A little confusing. Yeah, I don't know if it... Uh, <laughs> I don't know if it was just me, but it certainly felt like the show stopped explaining itself as well as it did early on, eventually, and... While it's not completely stuff that happens out of the blue, it just gets it gets really muddy in the middle, especially. There's a lot of things that are just sort of happening without a lot of explanation of why. Uh, we still follow the characters that we've established, and they, you know, they mostly, for, uh, for the most part, do all right. But the overall pacing of the plot just kind of gets really muddy for the middle chunk of it. The ending I really enjoyed, even if the very end, like I said, gets a bit confusing. Uh, the climactic uh, events of the last few episodes I thought were really well handled. So it's a show that starts off really, really strong, especially the first episode or two. Gets kind of iffy for the next, uh, for the for the central arc and then kind of upswings again for the end. That's what I think, anyway. So, overall, I really enjoyed the show, but I'll be the first to admit that it gets a little difficult to yeah, deal I think with I some of the stuff that happens the in between it all. read what happened, or one of you guys explained it to me at the time, because I, I know I got really confused. But, as I recall, I think the... Yeah. In, in terms of the costume design, or the, the artistic attention to detail, I do remember the show being pretty strong all the way through. Yeah, I think the I seem to remember being pretty consistent also. Yeah, that yeah. in that respect, yes, it does definitely. Visually, I think the majority of the show holds up. I mean, this is from 2003, so the CG is not exactly great, and they do cut corners here and there on the animation. But even so, they managed to, like, it's only, the only times I really noticed it were during, like, quick cuts or little things where they're just getting, you know, they're kind of getting their feet uh, for the rest of it, both from a technical animation standpoint and from a visual design standpoint, it 
pretty much remains really top notch throughout. Okay, so, so a great yeah. great world builder and you know visually gorgeous and whatever else uh, you had thrown into the middle. Yeah, good good strong uh, good strong story uh, storytelling and visual storytelling chops. Hmm. And I think now we come back around to uh, our next show. Yeah, so I watched the first episode of Noween again. What an episode this is! You know, I was. I remembered. Oh, yeah. I thought it was cool, but the the it starts off with just this giant like sci-fi battle esque thing happening, and this really big dramatic like something you'd hear out of Final Fantasy type of music. I can only describe it as if anyone has heard Final Fantasy's fifteen uh, Omnis Lacrima. It sounds similar to that with the big booming choral piece going on. And there's just these people warping in and out of the air, fighting this giant CG mechanical creature, and then this big, the giant head oh, the giant thing head that has that thing, terrifying face. Oh, those things are... Oh my uh, gosh. And they're, yes. you know, they're zooming in and out, and the unique like, weapons right are being forged out of their body. Like, at one point, somebody sticks their hand out, and like, the parts of the, I guess the, I don't know what the pieces are called, of the bow for a bow and arrow but it a bow forms out of her hand basically and then she fires like an energy arrow out of it and you're just like holy cow what what is even going on and then suddenly this big ring appears in the middle of the battle and just like time space is warping and you're like you're desperately trying to follow what's going on and then it just zooms clean out and you're you're here in you know, what are those kids in middle school or something? They're either in middle school or high school. Yeah, it seems like it's probably late middle school. The, late the middle kids school, are yeah. you, you zoom into these kids who are in middle school, and everything's like colorful. And I remember when I first watched this show, I sat down and thought to myself, "This is one of the ugliest shows I've ever seen," because you look at all <laughs> these characters the and they're so weird looking, like they're lumpy and they're. The way they're designed is totally different from anything you're used to. I mean, you want to pick a show that is the polar opposite of all the Moe stuff we're used to nowadays. It is knowing. Because, my gosh, these characters look nothing like that. And so the main character, Haruka, has, you know, all these, a lot of roundness to her with her eyes. And then you, the, the other character, you, he's got, like, square eyes. And, oh, it's just the weirdest thing. Ever and upon mm. watching this a second time and later when I had you know gathered more appreciation for this show, it's so visually telling. Like you look at you and his facial expressions because he's he's a really like depressed kid. His facial expressions are so hard and like the depression plays out so much stronger on his face because of the way it's drawn. And Haruka is so soft, like she's got these soft feminine round features to her her face and her hands and the way she's structured and her eyes there's this softness to it that you don't get out of the male characters and it's just it's amazing to look at how everybody all the time looks so unique and that was that to me is it's really neat to see a show pull that off with the the kind of mm. finesse that knowing does so everybody looks so different and uh, the kids are on spring break, it turns out. 
And at one point, they go and do the the whole Japanese test of courage thing, and they end up in a graveyard. And uh, one of the guys who's fighting in the beginning, the sci-fi s guys, shows up later. And then there's a scene later on where that ring comes back, and Haruka's standing there, and like the whole scene turns digital negative, and like the camera is spinning around and around and around. It's it's so cinematically just artistic, I want to say. And when I remember when I first watched it, I thought it was crazy. And I think I thought of it in the same way Brendan thinks of a lot of the crazy shows he watches. Like, gosh, I got to watch the rest of this to know what on earth was going on. But it's just cinematically brilliant. Because it's always moving the camera in such a way that... You're curious what's going on, or you know a scene is more dramatic because of the way they angle something. Like in that scene, this the, the one character, Karasu, he just like appears in front of Haruka and this, the camera shifts around to behind her as he moves lightning quick and appears right in front of her. And it's that like terrifying, he was all the way over here, but the camera makes it look like he moves at like the speed of sound to her. And you're just like, geez, what's just... What is happening in this shot? But it's like nothing you've ever seen before. It's such a unique first episode, and it really it really sets up a powerful sci-fi-esque story, because you know there's two different storylines running, right? One with whatever those sci-fi-esque characters were doing in the beginning, and then one with these kids. And it drops this massive bomb on you at the end of the episode. You know, we did say some spoilers here, but Karasu, this character that appears in the graveyard, he uh, he looks like he's trying to attack Haruka, and Yu shows up, and he's like, who on earth are you? And he's got a box cutter, and Karasu's like, oh, oh, you, you can't save that girl. You know who I am? I'm you. And then, boom, the episode ends right there. And you're like, what? What just happened? And yeah, also a box job, cutter. Yeah. Good courage mm-hmm. there, kid. I like your yeah. Spot. I know. I mean, hey, hey, why not? <laughs> right. So most characters are trying to fight off the enemy with guts. So he, he's yeah, use your guts. Yeah, he's guts. actually you know attempting to use something. So I I just had to know what happened next. And it's there's so much to take in in that episode. Like you're never quite sure what you're supposed to be paying attention to so on a second watch i had i had way more appreciation for the way the the camera angles worked and just the way the characters are drawn and everything that first episode offers really really cool job establishing the mystery the sci-fi elements and giving you this neat artistic feel so sky i know you're a pretty big fan too is there anything i missed that you wish i'd talk about uh, and I think you think of a lot of the big stuff, like the yeah, the, the crazy different animation style between all the characters. And uh, no, I think you've you've pretty much hit all the major points. And uh, I guess we should probably talk a little bit about you know, does it continue it being does. this awesome? Spoiler Watch mm-hmm. the show, do it. All right, well that's mm-hmm. that's all. I will say, yeah. I will say really quickly. Even though I'm not really a fan of their animation style, I don't know why it just didn't really click with me. I will say that I completely agree that every character is incredibly distinct and there is nothing else like it. So even if you might not necessarily be totally on board with the visuals, they are, they're worth giving it a shot because the, the show itself definitely, you know, it uses them. It uses them masterfully to uh, get everything across. So 
And actually, it might take, like, it took me a couple of episodes to really, I don't know, to have it sort of fall into place in terms of the mm. animation style. Like, right at the beginning, you're probably going to see these characters' yeah, eyes. Yeah, I'm telling like, you, I thought it was hideous the right first here. time I watched it. Like, it's, it's the eyes. But, like, after a couple episodes, you'll, you'll kind of yeah, get you'll used to it, so yeah. just be yeah. aware of that. It, it's certainly an acquired yep. taste. Undeniably, but I, I thought it was cool, and it's mm. a show, and worth giving a try. Mm. Good call with that. Mm. So, Scott, on to you. Sure. So uh, let's see. Another show I want to talk about is Eerie. Oh man, yeah. Uh, so this oh is, man, what? Yeah, this is a very, very strong OVA. I have not seen from back Eerie. Have seen Eerie? Oh my goodness, we gotta, we gotta bring that at some point. Uh. Uh, so Eerie is, is uh, it's, I guess the the setting is kind of like kind of sci-fi. We'll go with, and uh, the main character Eerie is a bounty hunter. Uh, they just and she, her brother, and like a couple of other bounty hunter characters take on jobs uh, in a variety of interesting places. Like they've got teleportation technology across the galaxy so they can be anywhere in minutes uh so there's all kinds of cool places to go and it basically it's it's more or less her story and they try to uh the overall plot is they try to fight off this creature called zeram which is basically indestructible and most of it's just trying to figure out where it came from and how they can possibly stop something like it uh one of the things that's going to hit you early on about the show is that the aesthetic in it is incredibly unique. Like it's unlike anything else I've seen in anime. Very uh, almost Chinese the, influence, like the, isn't it? In some, well, like, they have like some of the factions. Like uh, what's what are those names of those guys? I think they're called Tepai or something. Or like yeah, they're a very Middle Eastern influence. Like a lot of like domes and uh, like like you know like the dome with a oh with yeah a minarets you'll see and in those a lot kinds of, of like uh, minarets. That's the word I'm looking for. Yeah, like even their even their spaceships have like minarets as a design for their uh, what do you call it for the engines and so on. Uh, like some of the enemies use robotic genies. I'm guess I'm gonna call them really uh, like uh, yeah. I guess genies is, is probably close enough. Uh, in like the city they're in is these huge metal mushrooms, like the long stalks with a big flat center kind of that are tethered to the ground so they don't tip over in the wind or whatever. But that's just one city. Like, other places look totally different and they'll be warping all over the place. It's just completely mm. unique. And along to go along to go with that is all the characters. Like, every character from Iria to her brother Glenn to Bob, uh, they're all very different-looking people, but they have very, very detailed outfits. And being bounty hunters, they have a large variety of very dangerous weaponry <laughs> and tools. Like, almost everything that they have on their bodies is either a tool or a weapon. Often both. <laughs> like, I'll never forget, often both. Like, in the first episode, Iria has this, her main weapon is this large rifle, which will fire one shot at a time. And she's fighting somebody with it. And then at one point, she takes the front of, like, the whole stock, not the stock, the, uh, the barrel of the rifle and pulls it down. And inside the stock is another <laughs> gun with, like, little needles more in it guns. or something. That Always more guns. Like, your gun so many like guns. Gun in it. Always more guns. Or, like, or maybe it's also a grappling hook. Or maybe it's this. Or, like, everything is... Kind of like purpose built and cool. Like this is definitely the rule mm -hmm. of cool in this show. Like if, if there's a cool thing that your character could be doing right now, it's something they have on their person. Yep. They're going to do it. Uh, what else is there? I also like that the characters are right from the start, basically fully trained professionals. Like it's it's said that Yuri is just about to get her bounty hunter license or whatever, but no one is like in training. No one is learning the ropes. Everyone is pretty much top notch and at the top of their game. So you don't have to wait around for anything to happen. And since it's only a six episode OVA. They don't have time for any of that to happen. So there's there's no filler, uh, you know, spoiler for later in the show, I guess, not just the first episode, but 
even the first episode is basically nonstop action. Like, though I think the first thing that happens is Arya takes down one of her, like a mark, some guy she's trying to stop from a hostage situation. And then immediately after that is another action sequence with this other guy that flies in on this. It's like a chair attached to an umbrella, like that can fly because he has one of those minaret engines now, on top. Of it. I, it looks ridiculous. Like everything, everything is in this sounds like mm-hmm. it looks utterly insane, and it does, but it all works because the because the visual design is so tight and so focused. It actually manages to just kind of blow suspension of disbelief of disbelief out of the water to the point where it just comes around and becomes like no i accept this that man's flying in an umbrella chair this is cool <laughs> this is cool he's got tons of guns on it and a bunch of grappling hooks for some reason like grappling sure, why not so then they fly off and there's a brief scene where they talk to each other about the next mission they're going on and they and then as they're going on that mission when like a like a land speeder think like a star wars land speeder type thing they end up fighting these other guys, the genies with their machine guns that are dropping out of this large balloon. And then they zip through the city and make it to the teleporter thing. And they make it there and warp into space in their land speeder, which has this crystalline, like a crystalline dome that can appear at any time to protect you from the vacuum of space and sort of functions like a shield and also puts things into stasis. It's, I don't know, pretty neat technology, I guess. So then they fly through space on their land speeder and make it to this ship and rescue all these hostages and then fight against this terrifying creature like... And this is just in 20 minutes. These are, this is a standard length episode, and there's a ton of stuff going on, and it's all awesome. Like, rarely will you see this a character use the same trick twice, too. Like, no one has a standard attack. They're always thinking and changing what they're doing based on what's going on. Uh, and in case you couldn't tell from what I was saying, the plot is also, like, it's going to draws you in immediately. There's all these factions. Some of them want to capture this terrifying creature. Some of them want to destroy it. The bounty hunters, of course, want to get paid, but also want to be safe about it. Uh, there's there's a lot going on, and you're like, okay, I really need to know where this is going. So a lot to a lot to like about it. And it's trippy, trippy. <laughs> As was the style of the time. I don't even know, man. It was. I don't. There's a lot of other openings. Yeah, to look fair at enough. That is that is great. But good All stuff. Right, Brennan, I'm excited for more. Maybe not cat yeah. girls. <laughs> um. Well. Because I can't resist a good segue, <laughs> the next show I'd like to talk about is another sort of, uh, well, I say another sort of so bad it's good. Uh, we didn't really talk about how the rest of Kakarol Nuku Nuku went down, uh, but perhaps suffice to say that it like goes back and forth beyond the line <laughs> of too stupid. <laughs> uh, some of the episodes are hilarious, some of them are pretty rough watches. I remember in particular the one where the class goes to an amusement park at night for some reason or something. And then this sort of mouse alien comes down and like mouse girl and tries to court their teacher. And it was awkward. <laughs> Sounds like it. Uh, but the, oh gosh, Nuka Nuka was all worth it for the show where the class makes the movie. That was hilarious. But the next show, is, the next show is uh, another show set in the not too distant future. Whose first episode involves the title character who is the female lead sort of fighting a truck-sized household appliance built by an increasingly omnipresent corporation named Mishima, which is led yeah. by Shadow Force. Yeah, I'm sensing a pattern, Batman. <laughs> the main difference is that... <laughs> the main difference is that, well, Nuku Nuku was a cat brain in a, like, who was fully integrated into a robot body, Kamiko from Kamiko DX is a war traditional power suit. Mm. Except that it's actually smaller than the person who pilots For it. reasons. For, I mean... As much as I, there aren't yeah. reasons I'm kidding, of course. Yeah, I mean, because it would be uh, because it suits the show pretty much. Like it has to happen this way. Uh, like, 
and, and this is another thing that's sort of you know played as a subtle joke. The you know, Kevin Cody X is another it's another comedy show, and it's but it, it's a very different kind of comedy than what what Nuku Nuku had. Uh, I mean, it, it's basically a parody of uh, fan service laden alien girlfriend shows, and it's got all the fan service and all the dialogue amped way beyond like anything that would be considered sexy or raunchy, like straight into unbelievable and ridiculous territory. And your mileage may vary. I know I like this show a lot, but uh... Scott and I had some Brendan for the sake objections. of humanity. I cannot let you recommend this show to to our listeners. <laughs> Fortunately, he's just recommending the first episode. Okay. You gotta, you gotta watch, watch the first episode and see what you think. Yeah, make your decision from there. <laughs> but, but, but we will. I will say, watch the ending theme song yes, too. That's, that needs to be the warning. Watch that. Think about your life. Yeah, you, Go you gotta home watch the and whole. Then don't ending. sell death sticks anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Go home and think about your life. Exactly. <laughs> anyway, so what about this first episode? Makes it you know, great. outside of the general raunchiness, what uh, what grabbed you with this, uh, Brendan? Just, I mean, just the fact that it was so out there, and like the first, basically the first thing that happens is this this uh, this high school schlub. Like, uh, he wakes up from a dream he has about this girl that he knew ten years ago who moved away, and then a spaceship crashes into his mm-hmm. roof. <laughs> and like a bunch of uh like big four legged Tachikoma ripoffs or something like crawl out and they've got these like guns and then this this like four foot tall squat pear shaped figure with uh you know a lo- unpro- disproportionately large head with giant expressionless eyes uh-huh. in a wedding dress wielding a Gatling <laughs> gun and a big thing that looks like a, a big Brendan stop saying board. and stop saying like, and and then in. adding stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Too many ants. <laughs> can't handle it. Like blows up these robots, and and like, uh, I don't even know if she proposes to the kid or just says like, "We're married now." You are my husband now. You have no choice yeah. in the matter. Yeah, it's, so yeah, it's he, more or less he, like, he throws himself bride, out the of end. the door. <laughs> to his credit, he wants and, no part of this. Oh yeah, and uh, like the. And, and we sort of like leave that behind for a few minutes as we go into him like going going to high school, uh, with his. Uh, he just kind of he just kind of leave the whole festering situation there and goes to school. Well, he, he's, he's in disbelief about it. He like he leaves the he, once he gets out of his front door. He's like that. He can turn that around right now though and see there's a spaceship in his house. <laughs> He's he's like choosing not to. Well, right, and like uh, like standing outside his house is his his childhood friend, who is uh, a girl who is the obvious sort of mm-hmm. childhood friend love interest. Uh, and you know she looks up after he leaves, and, like walks off in a huff, and you know sees the spaceship there and basically does of nothing course. about it. Just, just... Right, sort of like the traditional thing in anime where like characters, you know, something weird will happen and everyone will more or less accept it. Again, taken far beyond like it would logically be taken. Right, but it, you know, he gets to school, and we introduce another couple of like terrible characters. Every every character in the show, almost almost every character in the show, is a, is a deeply flawed human being. <laughs> That's and, way to put it. Reprehensible. And, like most of the side characters don't even have any kind of redeeming characteristic to the point where you, you don't feel bad about hating their guts. Like it, like you just it, it's sort it of becomes... the background noise to the series. Like I hate every one of you. Well, kind of, but it's also like this is so. You're such an unbelievably bad person. Mm-hmm. Like, Sanpeta's friend. Sanpeta is the main character. Like, 
I like I actually don't believe it. And <laughs> it must I find be a trend amazing. with the name Sam ah. like, that, that was sort of my take on it. <laughs> and oh, there was uh, the other girl. Uh, his his childhood friend's name is Izumi, and she has a friend in class who's a kind of Denpa girl. So like she oh heavens yeah one of those she uh like purports to pick up waves or something that tell her about stuff in the present or possibly the future, and like she's currently predicting that there's going to be a glasses wearing transfer student with a dynamite body coming to class today, and they immediately go to this this imagined spot, which I think is the proper term for it, where like. Which is you know, on a fully like black background, but like this girl leaning up against a pole who turns around to the screen, and she's in full Gongoro getup. Well, except in a school uniform, she's got like the the super dark tan, and there's like the bizarre pink hair going on, and and re- breasts bigger than her head that are bouncing independently, and she's being like, super seductive, and it's it's so grotesque almost, as to be like like ridiculous and they cut out of it uh and then like by the time they get to the halfway point of the episode like the gag there is that the like this short like chubby guy with the opaque glasses shows up he's the transfer student sorry (laughs) Denver girl but uh uh, like it it doesn't take long for like the chemico to show up at the school and like shortly thereafter, there's a there's a fight with a giant rice cooker on the roof yeah, for no particular it. reason, like because that's one of the things that Mishima makes that they could have put like robot legs on and a big actual arm, <laughs> like coming out of the middle of it, which uh, <laughs> you know it's and, and chemical fights it like he would fight the master hand in <laughs> in Smash. <Bros. laughs> but then it like then the suit gets damaged and it uh, you know it turns out that she's actually a cute girl who's like. All but explicitly stated to be the cute girl from Sam Peter's back. But which there will continue to be like pretended questions about. Oh yeah, like every time you think any part of the dramatic plot is going to progress in any way, there's probably a better than even chance that they're going to interrupt themselves with some stupid. They're going to smack that. They're going to smack that advancement away like it was like it had the plague or something. Oh dear, and uh. And yeah, again, this is just sort of a like, what the hell did I just watch kind of thing? And yeah, I I found enough of their like I I I found enough of their over the top humor to be sufficiently over the top as to be amusing. And uh, you know, not everyone will. You got the truth. Well, how does it hold up for the rest of it after the first episode? Does oh, I it, thought it was does it, does it continue to be as over the top? Pretty yeah, having much. watched it uh, with Brendan, I think, uh, yes, it does maintain this level of utter nonsense for its entire yeah, I that's run. true. Uh, there are a couple of times during the show, one I remember in particular, where they actually do play the drama completely straight. And it's every time they actually go into the backstory of the actual, of the, the chemical pilot. And, uh, hmm. and they, like, they tease about, you know, where she came from, why she has the chemico, and then, like, how she got to Earth from wherever she was after going there from earth uh and they you know they don't they don't actually like spoilers they don't reveal a whole lot about it but the the times that they do actually go back i thought were actually well done and then you know eventually of course you come back to the present and <laughs> like bullshit as far something as something nonsense through that amazing all right dan take us home and don't sell me dead sticks uh, that's kind of our go-to all right well um the next one i'd like to talk about and this is—I only—I just rewatched this recently. A friend and a friend and I uh, 
caught this show on Scott's recommendation a few months ago. Uh, yeah. The Devil is a Part-Timer. It is one of the funniest shows I have seen in recent memory. You know, one of the funniest anime that I've seen in recent memory. And I am generally not a man who likes uh, anime comedies. I don't find most of them funny. They're often the jokes are either predictable or just insultingly bad. But this actually managed managed to do pretty well. So that aside, the opening sequence of this show is incredibly well animated. It's it shows this kind of like the brief rundown of this fantasy world divided into like four continents laid out in a cross pattern and one central continent. And there's demon generals taking over all the lands and then a hero and their entourage rise to, you know, fight them back. And then they besiege the, uh, the castle of the demon Lord who's been waging this war to try and like, as, as they stay, as they state, uh, try and create a homeland for the creatures of darkness and the hero and uh, their allies bust into the castle, and there's this back and forth, like five minutes of just incredibly intense action. You know, energy blasts and magic are flying back and forth. A guy is, like, flying through the air and just punches one of the devil's lieutenants through, like, several walls, and there's... It's... It's incredible. It's the kind of stuff that you would normally save for the climactic battle between the hero and villain, which is appropriate because that's what it is from the story perspective. And then the demon, the demon lord, realizing that he's not going to win this, tears open a portal and says, "I am going." It's like says, "I will return to reconquer this la- uh, this land. Just you wait," and vanishes. Cut to modern day Tokyo, and he and his and he and his chief lieutenant uh, have basically been dumped into Shinjuku. And, like, where the hell is this and what's going on? Why, where are our horns? Where are our claws? Why do we look like humans? Well, apparently they... And I would say, and most importantly, right? And most importantly, magic? where is our magic? And they figure out relatively quickly, like, okay, magic doesn't appear to be strong in this world. I'm not sure why. We'll need to look into this. And they are then almost, almost immediately after that picked up by the cops who take the decision to try and figure out who these two foreigners no, wait, are the speaking cops some do crazy something made-up in this language. Episode? As in, like, in oh, the yeah, show? Oh, yeah, the cops are like... Absolutely. The cops are like... At one point, they're, they they run into the guys. It's like, who are these guys? Uh, he's like, do you speak Japanese? No. Does anyone speak English? No, I guess that's not it. And one of the, uh, and one of the uh, demon guys tries to, like, use magic on him, but just ends up posing ridiculously. Cut immediately to them being put in the back of the car. <laughs> Solid. Just like no, you just it's like you guys just behave in there. We'll get you to the station, and then they and then the demon lord uses a little bit of his uh, small reserve of remaining magic to basically get all of the information that he can out of the uh, police officers, and then through a combination of hypnosis and other chicanery, learns enough about the world to figure out what he needs to do in order to get by. So instead of like, all right, we're going to set up a base of operations and we're going to, you know, conquer this world Invader Zim style or anything like that. No, their main thing is we get fake IDs. We get, it's like, we get a bank account. I'm going to, get a I'm, bank going to get a, I'm going to get a part-time job <laughs> while my lieutenant researches what the hell is going on and how we can get home. And it's just, this all happens, bang, 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 right after the other. Stuff that would normally take an entire episode in any other show. They just plow straight on through, and it's just... The the quickness and the timing of it is 
really comedic gold. It's very hard to uh, emphasize this without you actually seeing it, but I can strongly recommend that. Um, and again, mm, the definitely. animation from the initial one, obviously it isn't as impressive, but it still, you know, maintains a pretty good standard, modern, uh, in a fairly modern style. And then uh, you cut to later where the devil, Satan, his actual name, or Mau, as he uh, as he is known on Earth, has now risen to like a to a part time uh, front end employee at a at a vaguely disguised McDonald's, McRonald's, I believe, and is like desperately trying to sell enough of whatever signature item of the month they've got in order to make a oh, it was like a black, black yeah something something, something stupid like that trying to make enough enough to meet or exceed their quota so that they can get a uh, so they can get some <laughs> Let me tell you, the guy gets really into being <laughs> boy it, it is a weird thing because he's very much the kind of guy who's like anything that's worth doing is worth doing all the way and he it's like this is the demon lord this is the guy that who who was like commanding an army of zombies and ghouls and uh, goblins and all these other things to try and conquer human lands in the fa- in the fantasy world this is that same guy like to the point where at one point the fryer breaks and anyone who's worked in a kitchen which i have knows when that thing goes down you are in trouble that thing takes forever to fix but he is then desperately debating whether or not he should use his own magic to fix it his <laughs> his his incredibly tiny remaining reserves of unreplenishable magic on fixing That's the fryer. <laughs> because at this point they're living this in a single man. like they're living in a single studio <laughs> apartment over the most terrifying landlady you will ever meet, and not because she isn't nice. She's very nice. She's just creepy as all get out. But he's. Oh, what a yeah. great minor character. But he is sitting there he is sitting there with his uh with his lieutenant sharing this crappy apartment, being dirt poor and having spent all of this money and no idea if they're going to have enough food to make it through. So he is actually really invested in this job and getting promoted so that he can make money. And meanwhile, you know, still has his plans to go back, but those are off to the side. We have more immediate concerns, and that's what the show is. And those follows. concerns are the fryer, it, dang it. Like eating. Yep. Fryer and eating mm-hmm. that night. And then afterwards, he finally gets off work and he's like, yes, I managed, I managed it. They put me to like, they put me from like, you know, basic, basic associate to like the lowest level of management possible. He has gotten. Yeah, like, like backup ship. Something to that something. effect. He's gotten like a hundred yen raise. That's, that's the, uh, that's the subtotal of it. He is absolutely thrilled. As anyone who has ever been dirt poor living in a new place can attest anything like that will give you a remarkable high for a little while until it comes crashing back to earth and you realize oh i'm still in this terrible situation but uh at and at the very end minor spoilers he runs into someone else from uh the world he came from and this kicks off into the rest of the show and comedy-wise, overall, I gotta say, this show does completely hold up. It is more or less as funny throughout. Mm. There's stronger and weaker episodes, but it does a really, really good job. It's Most of the comedy is actually rather understated by anime standards, which I really prefer. That it's, instead of, you know, going for crazy uh, 
for crazy effects or sound effects or all of that. They just tend to play, like, when he's looking at the friar and debating whether or not to use his magic desperately. Like, they're just panning over a totally normal scene of this fast food joint as, like, dramatic music, like, this dark, brooding music is playing in the background, and he is overly, <laughs> he is overwrought there, and he's like, it's like, I don't have much. Should I use it? How, why did this have to happen now? We're so close to making this month's quota. We are quarter. so <laughs> very close. Why did this have to be tonight? That's, that's too good. <laughs> Sounds like a riot. Mm-hmm. But, oh, yeah. Like I said, funny throughout, um... I enjoyed it. Th- I enjoyed it thoroughly, and the whole show is basically about playing with your expectations, and then not necessarily turning them right on their head, but always futzing with them. Like you expect certain romances to uh, to happen, but they absolutely do not. They, you expect uh, you expect certain types of rivalries or betrayals to happen, and then they do, but it doesn't quite go the way you expect. And mm, yeah. yeah, it's just. I had a load of fun with this show. Good recommendation, Scott. If you're looking for something that's fun, that's funny and you know just top quality all the way through between the writing and the uh, and the visuals, definitely can recommend it. Very cool. It. Sounds like the first episode is a great time. Yeah. Oh yeah. Awesome. All right, guys. Well, we are unfortunately out of time. I know we had more of these to talk about, so we we'll have to save them for a part two of. of Let's have to have a round two. Certainly. Episode. So, guys, I hope you've enjoyed. Uh, just as a recap. I did R.O.D., that's Read or Die, the TV series, and Noeen. I did uh, The Heroic Legend of Arslan, this is the 1990s version, and Iria is a Romney animation. I did uh, All-Purpose Cultural Cat Girl and Nuku Nuku TV, <laughs> and uh, Kebiko D. And I did uh, Last Exile, and The Devil is a Part-Timer. All right, well, I hope you guys have enjoyed, and I hope you check out some of these shows. Please be sure to leave us a comment. Until next time. All right, folks. Have a good one.